Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, team. You guys can have a seat. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Like they said, we had such a great week this week at Robotics Camp. It's our newest camp. It's our biggest camp. And it's our last camp of summer. Everybody say, oh, so sad. But that means fall is coming and new things. So we're excited about that. This year, God's been doing a lot of new things at Hope, and we love what he's doing. We're going to get to our award ceremony in just a little bit. But this week at camp, we talked about innovation. And we talked with the kids about how God created them uniquely, that he formed them in his image, and that as human beings, we're the only created being that can imagine. That's crazy if you think about it. Bees they build beehives. They don't imagine like, let's make a scented candle today. That would be good with this beeswax. They don't. Beavers, they build beaver dams. They, they're not like, let's build a bridge. Nope, they can't do it. But humans, anything we can imagine, we can create. And that's so exciting. And if we won't put limits on ourselves through mindsets, through comparison, through fear, if we won't limit our beliefs, then God will do the impossible through us. Come on. Today we're talking about believing grace because really what you believe determines everything else. And if you're not normally here with us on a Sunday, uh, someone said a few weeks, it's like they do a TED Talk in the middle of church. It's basically what we're going to do right now. Welcome to my TED Talk. So TED Talk from the Word of God because we believe he has something for us every single week to transform us and to take into our world throughout the week. If you haven't met me, my husband and I have two children. We have Sophie, she's seven. She got to come to camp this week. And Ryder, he's four, he's almost five. And the kids and I, we drive here um, almost every day and uh, we live about an hour away. So as you can imagine, we have long drive times kind of back and forth. And usually the kids play together on the drive time. I ask them about their day, and then I kind of listen to an audio book. I really love reading. I read like two books a week. It's like one of my favorite things. And this past week, I was listening to a book and just enjoying it, minding my own business. And my kids, I hear from the back seat, stop licking me. <laughs> and I look in the mirror, I'm like, what's going on back there? And my daughter's like, he's licking me. And I'm like, he's so far away from you. How is he licking you? You know, my son is innocently sitting there like, yeah, how, how is that happening? <laughs> She's like, well, I put my hand in front of his face and he licked me. And my next question is, why did you put your hand in front of his face? She's like, we're playing dinosaurs. I'm like, okay. Everybody, keep your hands, feet, and tongues to yourself. And I might not have been the sweetest when I said that. You know, sometimes I'm at my emotional capacity. Maybe you've been there. And you just don't respond perfectly. And you're like, why are people licking each other in the back seat? I need grace for my parenting. I need grace for my marriage. I need grace for my leadership. Grace for myself. Come on. And grace is God's unmerited favor. It's him giving us everything that Jesus got at the cross, all the good things that Jesus paid for, he purchased through his blood. God gives us all those good things, his righteousness, his peace, his joy, 
everything that we need, God gives it to us through Jesus. And we receive that as grace. And he does it simply because he loves us, not because we earn it or deserve it or we're amazing. He did it because he's amazing. And he's so good, he shares his goodness with us when we trust in him. But since we're all humans and we're not robots, and we have beautiful gifts from God called free will, we have emotions, there are times in our lives when we're just not perfect. And it's okay, it's okay to admit it here in church. We're human and we're not perfect. The kids learned this week at robotics camp that mistakes happen. They're a part of robot building and they're a part of life. And when we make mistakes, when we get off course, when we're not where we wanna be, it's easy to feel guilty or condemned. It's easy to get down on ourselves, but none of us tries to intentionally mess things up. I've never met someone who's like, man, I just really wanna screw up my life today. But when we do make a mistake, there's grace for it. How does grace work? Well, I'm glad you asked. First, let me show you how grace doesn't work. Grace isn't like, you missed the mark as a mom in that moment. I can't believe you raised your voice with your kids. You blew it, you fell short. I can't believe how terrible you are. You should feel guilt and shame. No, that's relating to God like, when I'm having a good day, then I'm a good person. When I'm having a bad day, God is mad at me. That's relating to him out of our best efforts. That's religion. And when I invite people to hope, one of the main things that they say to me is, I'm not a religious person. And I love to respond, me neither. God's not into religion and neither are we. Come on. When you know Jesus and you have a relationship with him, you relate to God out of grace. He's not pointing out your failures because you already know about them. It's true. I know every single thing I ever did wrong, and most of the time, I chose it on purpose. And so do you. That's what law does. That's what religion does. It points out where you don't measure up. That's what religion does. It points out where you fall short. But Romans 2.14 says, even Gentiles, that means people who don't know God, who do not have God's written law, like the Jewish people, show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. Our conscience and our thoughts, they let us know how we're doing. What grace does is point us to Jesus. Jesus is grace, and he gave us the Holy Spirit to remind us who we are because of him. He said to his disciples, I must go so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. And John 16, 8, he says, And when he has come, he'll convince the world of its sin and of the availability of God's goodness, come on, and of deliverance from judgment. The world's sin is unbelief in me. There is righteousness available because I go to the Father, and you shall see me no more. So the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points people who don't know Jesus to Jesus. He shows us where we don't believe in Jesus. He tells us about God's goodness that's available to us. And the Holy Spirit also points people who know Jesus to Jesus. It's like a compass, always points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He directs us back to Jesus every time we miss the mark. When we fail, he reminds us that the blood of Jesus, not what we do, 
makes us righteous. The blood of Jesus gives us right standing with God. The Holy Spirit helps us to believe who we are by faith. He helps us to remember Jesus took on all our sins, all the places that we fall short, and he gave us credit for everything that he did right. And that's grace, receiving a relationship with God by believing in Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no grace. Grace comes through Jesus. Last month, as I was leaving in the morning, taking my kids as we were heading to work, uh, a Lowe's truck pulled right into our driveway and blocked me so I couldn't leave. And then they started unloading some really big stuff. And I was like, did I order something? And I'm like, maybe my kids had my phone and they ordered something. That would be terrible. And then I was like, maybe my husband ordered something for like a gift. And then I was like, no, he wouldn't do that because we would talk about big purchases. But I went inside the house any anyway. I'm like, did you order something? He's like, no, what are you talking about? I'm like, that's what I thought. So I went outside and I talked to the delivery guy. I'm like, hi, we don't accept this delivery. It's, it's not for us, it's for someone else. I'm gonna save you some time. Just put it right back up on your truck. And he's like, no English. And I'm like, okay. Uh, I took a few years of high school Spanish. And I, I know, I'm sorry, so I'm like, lo siento. And then I was like, what is the word for like, didn't order? But it was not coming to my brain. All I could think of is no abierto, which means don't open. <laughs> Lo siento, no abierto, don't open. And he's like, so I, we you know, communicated through moving our hands. And basically, I looked at his invoice. And I had my mother-in-law's name on it and our address. Um, she used to live on the same property we live at now. And so she had placed an order. And somehow, in the system, they pulled up her old address. And they were about to deliver her washer and dryer to us. So I gave them the new address and they were happily on their way and she was, you know, she had been waiting for them like, yay, my order's finally here. And I was like, yay, I do not want this order. <laughs> I rejected the delivery, free appliances, but I believed they weren't for me. And I was right. They were not legally mine. I did not pay for them. And I want to say to us today that God has a delivery of grace that's available to all of us. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And we didn't pay for it. Come on. But unlike my appliance delivery, Jesus paid for it. Someone else paid for it. He earned it. He deserved it. And he gave it to us. And all we have to do is receive it. But so many times we reject it. We think, that's not for me. It's for someone else. But it is. It's for you. The invoice has your name on it. Other times we think, I need to pay for it. I need to wait until I deserve it. But Jesus paid the price for you to receive it. Receive it. So Jesus lays out his purpose in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. Come on, that's our Jesus. He came to give to us, to give his life so we could have a rich and satisfying life. The enemy, Satan, he wants to steal from us. So when you're parenting, if you mess up, the enemy wants you to think about how awful you are. He wants you to spend the next hour focusing on how you can be a better parent, focused on your behavior, feeling guilty, 
But Jesus came to give you a rich and satisfying life. So when you mess up in parenting, the Holy Spirit, remember we learned about him earlier. Who does he point to? Jesus. He points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be who God made you to be because of Jesus. He'll point you to Jesus because as you get to know Jesus and you understand and receive his kindness, you receive his compassion, you become kinder. You become more compassionate. As you look full in his forgiving face, you learn how to forgive. As you enjoy his love, you become more loving. As you receive his grace, you have grace to give away. When we ask God for help, he gives us overflowing grace. So we have enough for ourselves and for everyone around us. One of the things that we've been talking about for this series is really how God's grace is like a tipping bucket. So those big buckets at amusement parks, they fill up with water, and when they get full, they just dump out on the people below. And people run into that flow. There's joy in that flow. There's peace in that flow. And we run into God's overflow of grace. It doesn't run out. So the next time you're in a situation where you need grace, like I was, ask God to help you. He'll give you grace to give away. God's love for me gives me grace on top of grace on top of grace for my kids. Grace for my marriage. Grace for my leadership. He does that by giving me confidence in Him. Confidence that's more lasting than self-confidence. When I'm confident in God, I'm not shaken. He gives me joy. Isaiah 12, 13 says, With joy you'll drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. We run to that fountain. We run to that overflow. And we receive joy. Joy comes from His grace. He gives us peace instead of stress. Peace that's beyond understanding, the Bible says. Because He's not stressed when we're facing problems, when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we start having a pity party. Jesus isn't like, oh man, I don't know what we're going to do about this. He's not drinking Pepto-Bismol. He's not worried. He's not like scratching His head. He's not pacing. Bible says he's seated, he's resting. He took care of it at the cross. So we can choose to be stressed and let the enemy steal from us, steal our peace. Some people live our whole lives being stolen from, or we can choose to receive his grace. It's our choice. We determine what we believe because he gave us that free will. There's a story about a man who was on his deathbed and he was a quiet, kind of grumpy guy. And the nurses at the hospital, they uh, called for a pastor to come and talk to him because they're like, this guy's dying. He's all alone, no family. So they called the pastor in. And the pastor eventually won the guy over. He talked to him about sports and the weather. And finally, the guy started opening up. And he said, Pastor, I want to tell you something. For the last 31 years, I've lived with guilt and shame. You see, 31 years ago, I worked as a train operator where I would switch the different tracks for people. And one night I was drunk. And when it came time to switch the track, I pushed the wrong button. And when I did that, a freight train crashed into a passenger train. And a family died, a mom and a dad and two little girls. Now, Pastor, I've never told anybody that my whole life and I've carried it around with me and I feel terrible and I should have apologized to that, that, that family, but I didn't. And the pastor took the man's hand and he said, Sir, the people in that car, they were my parents and my sisters. And I forgive you. 
And if I can forgive you, you can be certain that God forgives you as well. Come on. God is so good that he sent grace to find that man. That guy didn't deserve it. It was his fault. He was drunk. He pushed the button. He deserved to go to jail. And he might have if he had confessed what he had done. There's always natural consequences to our sin. But no matter where we fall short, there's always grace available to us through Jesus. And that man lived his whole life feeling guilt and shame that Jesus already died for, that he wanted to give to him. Grace empowers us to choose a better path. And there are times when we need grace not just for our choices, but because of other people. The Apostle Paul in the Bible, he talks about having a thorn in his side. He says it's a messenger of Satan. This is a phrase used elsewhere in the Bible to describe people who are harassing you. And basically, he had someone who was trying to steal his joy, to steal his peace, to get him to take his eyes off Jesus and be distracted. Wherever Paul went, this person would come and try to discredit him. You might have someone like that in your life. Instead of a thorn in your side, you might say, they're a pain in my butt. Paul was trying to tell people good news about Jesus, and God was using him in a really big way. So the enemy tried to attack him, tried to get him to stop doing good things he was doing. If you want to see what God is up to in your life, look at the places where the enemy is attacking you and reverse it. If God is healing you right now, the enemy is going to try to distract you by presenting other symptoms so you'll stop believing that you're healed. But the truth is, at the cross, you were healed. You know, this week was so funny. We had a lot of weird things happen in response to our biggest camp of the year. One of the days at drop-off, a semi-truck was blocking the street out there. <laughs> Parents had to go around it. The guys were just sitting in the truck playing on their phones. <laughs> that same day, a telephone pole just happened to be delivered on this street, again, blocking traffic. The next day, both of the buildings smelled like a skunk had been in here. We walked in and we're like, oh, this is so gross. The next day, a couple people were sick. The next day, two staff members had bats in their house at 4 a.m., waking them up, running around their house, chasing bats out the window. Those aren't signs from God that we shouldn't do our camp. Oftentimes, people face opposition and they think, oh, God's closing a door. No, no, no. Those are confirmation. You need to keep going because breakthrough is happening. Come on. What does our team do about those things? Do we get stressed? No. We laugh. The Bible says God laughs at his enemies. And we laugh because the, author the enemy has no authority unless we give it to him. At the cross, Jesus gave us all authority on earth, and we choose not to give it away. So we laugh. All the enemy can do is try to distract us and steal from us. And we respond by fixing our eyes on Jesus. We focus on his goodness and his grace, and we refuse to be distracted. So Paul's here. He's tired of dealing with this thorn in his side. He went to God three times and he said, God, will you do something about it? In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now, if I'm Paul, I'm probably like, that's not really the answer I was looking for. <laughs> but God says, my grace is continually all you need when you face trials in life. That's so profound. And wherever you're weak, 
Wherever you're under attack, that's where you're made strong through God's power. He says, through my dunamis power, the Greek word for dynamite. That's where we get dynamite from. Makes me think of like a line of soldiers in a war movie where there's an opening in the line and you think the enemy's about to break through. God's dynamite goes right to that spot and blows it up in a good way. God's power actually works best that way, he's saying, where we let him into our lives. So continuing in verse 9, he says, So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So Paul says, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so his power can work through me. Another translation says, so his power can rest upon me. And that word rest it's really talking about a picture of a tent. So when you boast in your weaknesses, when you admit you need help, Jesus' power, it camps over that area of your life. Isn't that cool? It provides a covering while you're growing in that area, while you're being strengthened in that area. It can't do that, though, if you choose to reject the help by hiding your weaknesses. And this is hard for us. It flies in the face of our human nature where we like everybody to think we're perfect and, you know, we put our best self out there on social media. Uh, we're taught to hide weaknesses. We're taught to make excuses. We're taught to be perfect. But when we do that, we can't grow. When you're perfect in your own eyes, you don't have anywhere to grow. Our weaknesses are where grace flows. And his grace is stronger than any of our weaknesses. I don't want to hold on to my weaknesses. I want to give them to him so they can become strong because of his power. So this week, if you're going to give a presentation at work, but you don't want to mess it up and you're shy, you don't have to pretend where you're shy. Remember, this is where God's grace works best. You can get excited. When you have that anger problem, you can get excited because this is where God's grace works best. That anxiety, God's grace is about to work best in it. Don't try to hide it. Trust God with it. He wants to be involved in any aspect of your life where you struggle with failure. Maybe it's your job, but maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something completely different. Whatever it is, ask God to help you in that area of weakness. Give that situation to him. Know that his strength is being perfected in your weakness. We're going to close today by looking at two guys in the Bible. They had the same promise of God spoken over their life. One received it and one didn't. One was like, this grace delivery is for me. You can back up the truck right here. Come on. The other one was like, no thanks. King Saul, the very first king, and King David, who was his successor. So here's how Saul was chosen. We're going to look at it. 1 Samuel 10, 21. The name Saul, son of Kish, was picked. When they went looking for him, he was nowhere to be found. So Samuel, this is the guy who was anointing the king, he went back to God. He said, is he anywhere around? And God said, yeah, he's right over there, hidden in that pile of baggage. So they ran and got him. He took his place before everyone, standing tall, head and shoulders above them. Samuel then addressed the people. Take a good look at whom God has chosen. He's the best. No one like him in the whole country. Then a great shout went up from the people, long live the king. God chose Saul. He was the very first king. There wasn't a competition where it's like, you know, who can shoot the most arrows or fight the most bad guys? You can be the king. No, 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 no. He didn't earn it. God picked him. That's grace. And I love this passage here because it's saying, 
Look at who God has chosen. God chose him. That's amazing. Then the prophet Samuel was cheering him on, and all the people were like, yeah, he's amazing. Long live the king. We're excited about this. But where was Saul? Hiding in his baggage. He didn't believe it. I don't blame him. I mean, it would be scary to be the first ever king. It's like a king has never existed before. What does that even mean? This is a big responsibility. But remember, God's power works best in weakness if you let it. We all have insecurities, but Saul never dealt with his. He never let God's dunamis power blow it up. So he was a fearful king. He was manipulative. He was vengeful. He tried to kill David a couple of times. He got ahead of God in battle. He made mistakes. He threatened to kill his own son because of a stupid vow that he made. He took the country's best men, and under his leadership, they started to be afraid too. 1 Samuel 15, 17 says, Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. He's saying, you think little of yourself, but God has anointed you king. Are you going to believe what you think about yourself or what God says? In this translation, you think little of yourself, that means you think you are weak. You're weak in your own eyes. Saul was weak, and it's okay to be weak, but he didn't allow God's grace into his weak places. So over and over, he tried to do things in his own power. He's like, I got this, God. Instead of believing who God says he was, believing God for breakthrough in his life, he was afraid, and he thought he had to hold on to everything. He was eventually removed as king because God had given him instructions for a battle, and he did what he thought was better and what instead of what God said to do. How many times do we do that where we just take things in our own hands and we're like, ah, I think I know better. There's grace for that. Let's look at how David was chosen. 1 Samuel 16, 6 says, When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, that's his brother, and thought, here he is, God's anointed. But God told Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. So Jesse presented his seven sons to Samuel. Samuel was blunt with Jesse. God hasn't chosen any of these. Then he asked Jesse, is this it? Are there no more sons? Well, yes, there's the runt. But he's out tending the sheep. Samuel ordered Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. Jesse sent for him. He was brought in. The picture of health, bright-eyed, good-looking. God said, up on your feet, anoint him. This is the one. Samuel took his flask. He anointed him with his brothers standing around watching. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. Samuel left and went home. God chose David. It wasn't the king that everybody else thought. He wasn't the firstborn in his family. He was overlooked by his dad. I mean, his dad called him the runt, ouch. He wasn't the strongest. He was just a shepherd boy. He had no experience. But God chose him. That's grace. It didn't matter what everybody else saw. David believed that he was chosen. And he believed that promise for 15 years. 
He was anointed, and it took 15 years for him to actually become king. And that whole time, he could have believed, man, maybe I heard from God wrong. He could have been insecure. He could have thought, I don't really matter. God forgot about me. But he didn't. He believed what God said about him when he was anointed. Come on. Psalm 139, 14, I love this. He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, God. I know that full well. Look at that confidence in God. He believed that God made him and his works are wonderful. He believed he could kill a giant named Goliath in the name of God when everyone else, including King Saul, was afraid. He's like, I can do that with God on my side. He honored Saul as king even though Saul kept trying to kill him. Honestly, really annoying. You think Paul was whining about the guy with the thorn in his side. David's like, this guy's trying to kill me. But he trusted God in that instead of taking things into his own hands. He led a crew of mighty men who started off as drunks, discontented, and in debt to become warriors and giant killers too. He believed in who God said he was. And when he messed up, he had an affair. He murdered a guy. He dealt with the consequences of really bad choices and he let God work through his weaknesses. And David went on to be one of the most successful kings. What was the difference between Saul and David? Same anointing. The difference was their belief. Both had the same grace available to them when they became king. There's a concept called the 30-70 split in psychology. It says that 30% of life is what happens to you, 70% is what you believe about it. There's been studies done on this. 30% is what someone did to you, 70% is how you respond. Or 30% is what you say or do to someone else, 70% is how they respond. At work, 30% is how you lead your team. But you could lead two people in the exact same way with the same resources, and they could do totally different things with their 70%. In parenting, you give your kids your very best, but it's really just 30%. The other 70% is up to them. So if they're doing great, you can't take all the credit. You're 30% of the reason they're successful. If they're going through a tough time right now, well, 30% was your contribution. 70% is what they're doing with it now. That's why you see these like feel-good stories of children who are born to parents who are addicted, where one becomes like this amazing philanthropist and does so much with their life in spite of their upbringing, and another becomes an alcoholic because of their upbringing. 30% is what happens to us, but 70% is what we do with it, what we believe about it. So the 30% for Saul and David was that they are anointed as king. God said it. You're the king. He said it in front of people. This is the king. But their 70% responses produced different results. We all hear the same messages on Sundays because of our different backgrounds and our personalities or experiences. We receive it differently. 30% is being spoken to us and 70% is what we do with it. It's what we believe that determines who we become. It's what we believe about what God is saying to us that determines who we choose to become. 
Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What we believe about ourselves determines who we become. So 30% is God saying, you're a masterpiece. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And the 70% is you saying like David, yes, I am. I love the way you made me, God. I walk confidently because of who you made me. Or you could be like that 70%, you know what, God, I don't believe you. And you can walk around thinking you're ugly. You can walk around paying attention to the people who give you the worst compliments. 30% is what he says, but 70% is what we do with it. God says that he provides all your needs, that he wants you to prosper. He wants you to live a full and abundant life. But if you believe that's not true, if you reject it because of your experiences, if you say, no, God, I'm in lack, then you'll always be living in less than. You'll always never feel like you have enough when the truth is you do have enough, but it's your belief that's limiting you. And God can say you have enough all day long, but until you believe it, your life will not become it. God says that you are free because of Jesus. He says there is no condemnation because of Jesus. Come on. There is no guilt, there is no shame for kids because of Jesus. But if you reject it, then you walk around feeling guilty and you keep paying a price for something that's already been paid for. Maybe you have beliefs today that God is turning around. And that's the good thing about our beliefs. They're always shifting, they're always changing. Maybe you've kept people at a distance your whole life because at your core, you didn't believe anyone could love you unconditionally. Maybe your parents failed you, maybe your friends failed you, but I wanna say that God loves you unconditionally. When you connect with him, he gives you real love. He shows you the love that you were created for. You've believed his love maybe is only for certain people. I wanna tell you today, it's for you. It's for everyone. Maybe you've disqualified yourself. You've believed I don't measure up. You believed it's too late for you. It's never too late. Maybe you've believed you've experienced everything there is to life. You have a great life going on, but you're like, well, this is just it. Here we go. I'll just coast now until I die. There's so much more available to you that you haven't tapped into yet. This life with Jesus as an adventure. And he has good plans for you. The difference between David's thriving life and Saul's insecure life was just belief. Yes. 